Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Good morning. I've got a real special blessing that they didn't get in the first service, so tough for them. Um, I'm also going to carry on with my teaching, so if you want to find out what I said in the first, you're going to have to endure watching that one online. So <laughs> I've got so much to share, and, uh, and you know, I thought I got a lot of time, 40 minutes. They usually give me seven or five minutes, so I'm, I'm blessed to have the time. And I met Ben through um, Josh Ritchie, who's one of the elders. Josh is a company called Column 5. And we work with Josh, Acres of Love. That's the, the organization my wife and I founded. And in fact, Josh did a project for me called the DAF Trap, D-A-F, Donor Advice Funds. And it's interesting, when we did that motion graphic, the total assets in these DAFs were $85 billion, And I got a report this week that those have grown now to $234 billion. So that's money that people have donated the biggest charity in the world is Fidelity Bank. They don't, they're not a charity. They just manage money now in a non-profit environment. But the people that have put those monies in the DAFs, those funds will never be inherited by their children. It's not going to go to the government. Government gave them a tax receipt. So the money's sitting over there. But we claim those funds for the kingdom of God. So um, I thought I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I want them to run the video, but just before they do, um, please notice my wife pulls up with a car at a gate and she, she uh, calls out to Lizzie, who's the mom in that home in South Africa, and at the door, at the front door, are the cutest two boys you'll ever meet. And so just pay attention to that and you'll know why in a, in a moment. In South Africa, you know, have your older generation of people who are just naturally, you know, getting older and, and dying, right? And you have your younger generation of people, your children. But then there's this middle generation of people that are infected with HIV and are dying of AIDS. And they're leaving, really, a country of orphans. The stigma and shame was enormous. People just didn't talk about it. And mothers only found out that they were HIV positive at the time that they would go for their pregnancy tests. Oftentimes, I'm sure the moms have passed away. Some of them were even too afraid to tell their family. So that was the reason why many of those babies were abandoned. So you're ending up with children being raised without parents, no education, no health care, no supervision, oftentimes preyed upon, abused, outcast. So the situation is just that there, there just isn't anything that's big enough to catch that number of orphans and deal with it. The scale of this problem overwhelms most people. There are five million kids right now that have lost one or both parents. And so most people don't want to attempt to make a difference because they're overwhelmed by the scale of the problem. But for every problem, there is a solution. Oh, Lizzie! It's mommy head. Thank you. It's jammer that it's so so late, Lizzie. Hello, how are you? Oh my gosh, how was it going, boys? Good to see you. You thought you were going to be in bed, hey? Hello. Acres of Love brings family to children who are orphaned and abandoned in South Africa. We bring in children who have no parents due to HIV, AIDS, extreme poverty, and bring them into family homes. So you have six to 10 children generally that'll be raised as a sibling group with a set of house parents or a house mom who raises the children as their own. And they just operate as a family. So it's, it's completely opposite of any kind of institutional care that typically you would think of. Open and close my Acres of Love wants to provide continuity of care to these kids. The house parents build a bond with the kids, the assistants build the same bond with the kid, and it's just not a rotational door of people walking through the lives of the kids. 
They grow up together, they go on outings together, go to school together, and that's really become their close-knit family. Please, Bianca, come sit with us and quietly we're all going to read together. Wait, wait. The model of Acres of Love is that it is a forever home, so the children stay here forever, and that is, that is what makes Acres so incredible. We've had children who started with us when they were 15 months old and then on out university. Everything around that child is done, from the education to the love, to the residential care, to the medical care. Every single aspect of a child is taken into account. We place our homes in middle class neighbourhoods so that we can be close to good schools, good hospitals, clinics, so we can tap into the first world um, infrastructure of a community like this. We have uh, about 200 in our day-to-day -day care. When I, and I say about because we've got kids coming in and being adopted all the time. We also um, had to build a team around to take care of all these kids. So we have 120 people on our team. <laughs> Do you like your new house? <laughs> so we love our new house. I'm Anna Selimela. I work in Acres of Love. Um, I'm a house mom. I have seven boys. Five boys of Acres of Love and two of my own that I take care of with the support of my husband. So in the morning I prepare them for school, then I prepare breakfast, and then I take them to school, I drive them to school. After my school run, in the morning I, I take a break. Phew. <laughs> There's somebody who comes in the day to come and help me and I have an assistant also come Saturday and Sunday. I go pick them up, and then we'll help them with their homework. They love playing. They don't like homework. So I make sure that they do their homework. Then I'll prepare supper, and then we make sure that they go to bed earlier so that I can get to rest for another day. It sounds just like a home. It's a normal home. It's. It's a home for them. It's a home for me. And a child comes here, a child belongs to a family. I give all the love to the kids. I don't, they, all they need is love. All they need is love. So that's what I give to Acres of Love Kids. Many of the kids that have been admitted to Acres of Love uh, suffer from severe neglect, uh, malnourishment, um, physical neglect, uh, physical abuse kids with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, um, autistic children, and we take those kids. We just realised that those are the children that are really left behind in the hospital wards, that no agency, no other organisations wants to bring them in. I've got a little um, boy who's now three years old. He couldn't speak, he couldn't walk. And then we just believe that the child cannot even hear. But he's been with us for a year now. He is amazing. Like, people believed that he wasn't going to walk but now he is moving, so there is hope that he'll be walking. So I think, I think they are just so blessed to be in Acres of Love. You know, many children that have suffered a lot of abuse or neglect don't really cry. And then they find their voice, and then they cry a lot, because they know that somebody's gonna care. Every child wants to belong and I think that's the biggest question each one of us asks who do I belong to and belonging in a family is the greatest gift we can give the children and at that moment that the child enters the doors of acres of love that child belongs to a family and I love that to know that they they know that they are loved Ladies and gentlemen, it's such an honor for me to introduce you to Jacques and Victor and their mom and dad. Can you guys come up and join me here? Come Sienz. Come stand by me. Come stand by me. Oh, you live in America. Huh? It's calm. I'm asking if they're shy. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to let 
them share the, the miracle testimony. If we can have a microphone, maybe. Um, I'm so emotional, I don't even know how to even present this, but sure. When Chedah says on the video to who do we belong, well, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God's our Father. It says, it says in Psalm uh, 85, 58, verse 85, verse 5. Anyway, it says in Psalms, that he is the father of the fatherless. But you know what? He makes plans for all his children on earth. And I shared in the first service that um, the Bible says that his blessings make us rich and he adds no sorrow with it, which means that our hard work doesn't add any value. And it's all about the Lord. And this is a miracle that these two gentlemen are standing on this stage and so I'll just back up a little bit. Um, we had already rescued them. I saw them in South Africa many, many years, probably about a year before that documentary was formed. It was still enough cleaner, by a clean. On how you live for me? I'm 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 husband. Mommy Khada? Okay. But they so thing is my wife is the CEO and there's 175 people in our team there, and she goes every six weeks, and I'm Mr. Mom, so a lot, of the, a lot of the kids don't really know who I am, but that's cool. Anyway, um, we moved to a California, and I do a bi-weekly um, mentoring program, and um, Gretchen's part of that, and, and Kim that was on the video, and they've started a thing called Families in America, all together we have Families in America, and she's an emissary, and we're sharing the word of God, very much what I'm going to like share with you this morning. And then um, Gretchen walks up to me one day and she's, she's kind of semi-tearful, but she's sharing with, asking me to pray because at that point Mitchell lost his job. And then I'll, I'll leave it, you can pick it up from there. Um, yeah, you know, I'd like to even maybe back up just a little bit before that, just because it's so relevant to, to this. You know, I, I don't travel for, for work anymore nearly like I used to, and it's a, it's a real blessing to be able to be home, be with these guys. Um, but I, I did travel all this week, and I, I came back at the end of the week, and, and Gretch said, um, we were catching up, and Gretch said, Ryan called. And I said, oh, that's great. And she said, he's, he's speaking on Sundays. That's awesome. She said, uh, she said, he wants us to join him. And I said, oh. And uh, she said, uh, it's Bucky Dennis's church. And I said, we're in. Um, 23 years, 24 years ago, um, I met Bucky um, for the first time. Um, I don't think I've seen you maybe in uh, 20 years since then. But uh, it's, it's awesome to be back here to, uh, to be in your church and to see what you're doing here. Um, you know, I, I had a, a, a tear in my eye when we were driving here just thinking about what God is doing and, and being able to be part of, of that and be part of uh, just uh, what, you know, him at work, um, to be his hands. Um, in, in 1998, I had the, the amazing um, pleasure and, and, and honor of, of, of marrying my wife, Gretchen. Um, and at the same time, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and um, he pulled us aside and he, um, he, he's, his one kind of ask of us was, you know, before you get to this point in your life that I'm at now, I want you to really think about what you believe, what is your faith, and what does that mean to you, and how does that impact your life? And that was kind of the beginning of, of our journey in, in faith and what brought us to Mariner's Church so long ago and, and, uh, and, and, and being with Bucky in family ministry. Um, we met Bucky and his wife on a, um, on a Valentine's Day cruise. We were just there for the fun. We were, you know, we were at church at Mariners at Seekers trying to figure it out. And they, they saw something in us and they said, you want, you, we're running this family ministry. We want you to come. We want you to join and be part of this young couples um, you know, ministry that we're doing. And we did. Um, they asked us to be uh, table leaders and, and kind of pushed us you know, in our faith in that way. And I remember being at their house one time, the table leaders. And, um, and, and Bucky was fairly new in ministry, I think, at the time. And... Um, he had left your, your dad's construction company, and it was, you know, he, he was stepping out in faith. And, and I remember you saying, we're at your house, sitting in your living room, and you said, we still have the, the big house, and we're, you know, we're still, 
you know, but we're, this is on God. We're, we're just stepping out in faith here. And that was really the, the beginning of the journey for us. And fast forward, um, you know, 15 years later, 2015-ish, um, we are, uh, you know, leading various small groups and Bible studies and, and doing different things. And we started a, a, a study with our uh, home church, which is Shoreline down, down in San Clemente, um, uh, called Starting Point, and it was really an opportunity to figure out what your faith was, how, how you really um, came to your faith, and, and to really establish what that meant for you. And it was kind of a, a starting over, I guess, for us and kind of reanalyzing everything that we believed. Um, and one of the things that we got to really was um, the, the perspective that, um, you know, I started out with my father when, when, he, when he gave us that, that commission, if you will, and his, his verse was John 3.16, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone uh, who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we, we were kind of going on that path for 15 years, and we got to the point where we were um, in this starting point and really kind of getting deeper into owning our own faith, I think, at that point, maybe for the first time in, in our adult lives. And, and, and really we came into a study of Revelations, and Revelations, you know, 3.15 and... and uh, uh, you know, that, that chapter was just, you know, I just want to read. Um, I'm sure everyone knows it, but, you know, starting with Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And I think that was really the verse that stuck with us um, from that. And, you know, God was whispering to us all along, I think, in, in our journey. And we weren't, um, we weren't necessarily willing to give up control of our lives at that point. And it wasn't until really this study and that verse and, and how it really started to change us um, that God started to raise his voice. He was no longer whispering. And it was in uh, 2018, as Ryan said, that God started to really shout into our lives. And I lost my job for the first time. I was unemployed, um, uh, not intentionally, for the first time in my adult life. I have three older biological kids that were about to go into college. Um, and it was, it was terrifying. And, but I had faith at that point. I had um, this, this comfort in that he was in charge at this point. And um, so maybe a couple weeks later, when we're sitting in church, and my wife is next to me, and she's sobbing uncontrollably. A little voice came in the back of my head and said, you know, there's, there's more that I want you to do. Are you going to support this? Are you, go are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow what, I, what I'm saying, my word? And that was, that was really where he had put it on our hearts. Um, we'd been a part of Acres for probably eight, nine, ten years at that point, a long time where we were contributing money and we were going. Gretchen had been to South Africa probably a dozen times. Um, we had a few houses that we were, we were helping to support, but there was more that he wanted us to do. And um, we, uh, we, we stepped out in faith on that, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's a precarious situation. We still have the house. <laughs> Um, as I will echo Bucky's words, but um, it's amazing. We have three uh, older biological children that are in college, or will be the third one will be in college this year, and then we've got these two amazing young men um, as our sons um, now that are just an amazing blessing uh, to us in so many ways. And this, the gold that he is uh, uh, giving us, the abundant, rich life, the treasure in heaven, it's the impact that these guys are having on our community. Um, they rode in the, in the parade for the, for St. Clemente homecoming parade. Um, they're, they're minor celebrities, I think, in the hometown. We, they play basketball on Saturday mornings at the Dana Point Rec League, and there's probably anywhere from 10 to 20 people that show up to watch them play, because um, you have amazing skills, don't you? Um, but that, I mean, that's, that's really the, the, the story. I mean, God has been whispering to us. He continues to, to talk to us. We are just now listening better, I think, than we have before. And that's what has brought us to this amazing place that we're at now with you guys. So, so you begin the adoption process with no job. No job. And 
It's expensive, right? It's very expensive. And you have a, a screening here and a screening South Africa and you've got courts and attorneys and everything and then you end up in South Africa for a much longer period than you realise because of the paperwork that these boys needed. and Two months. Two months, right? Yeah. And then just share what you shared with me on the phone yesterday. What was the outcome of that? I mean, other than them living in America now, but what happened to you guys personally? So I, I would say that, um, you know, God has shown us sho so much through um, the work uh, that he does um, through Acres of Love and, and, and who he cares for and the calling that um, he assigned us to, um, this assignment of coming to uh, bring these boys into our family. And, um, you know, it's beyond what we could have ever envisioned. Um, I met Victor and Jock um, just right after that video. They were two years old. And... Um, Never in my wildest dreams would, would know that God's plan was for them to join our family. And, um, and when we were um, given the opportunity to um, bring them home into our family, um, it, it's just a miracle. And um, these boys have blessed our life. And the people that have come alongside us, the um, encouragement that we've received from, from family and from the community and people that God's bringing into our lives to, to give us abundance um, not in the ways that we would, would think when we talk about provision, but um, not financially necessarily, but um, the support, the words of encouragement, um, teachers coming alongside them, trying to get them caught up to where they need to be. These boys are so brave, and they're, they have so many firsts in the last year and a half. It's just remarkable. And God continues to um, just bless our family uh, and use these boys um, within our community, and um, they know what it is to belong and to be loved, and, and uh, we just love them wholeheartedly and are very, very grateful. And then... Got a job, right? Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, and and that's I want to make a point out of that because when, you, when God gives you an assignment, it's not always convenient. Mostly it's not. And you take a step in faith and the very thing you are trusting God for suddenly happens. That's Matthew 6.33. You seek my kingdom first and all of these things will get added to you. So I wanted, wanted that aspect of this testimony to be there as well. Yes. So, but thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, boys. I can't say too much now, sort of publicly, and in present company, but Kada and I, Kada from our social workers, gets the email. So the, the way it works in South Africa, when a child is orphaned and or abandoned, they get rescued and millions of them don't. So if you ask, well, where are these kids? Well, the United Nations is they're in child-headed households. That, that's a stretch. It's eight-year-old little girls taking care of toddlers. And in the most awful conditions you can even imagine. But the children that are really, really blessed come out and then the government social worker contacts our social worker, give us a file, and then that gets emailed to my wife. And many times we are in Orange County and we're sitting in bed, we have this file about this child and we have to make a decision. And I know it's life and death because if we don't make the, right, we don't make the decision to proactively step in, God only knows what what's going to happen after that. And every time we say yes, and sometimes we've had cases where we know from the get-go there's a massive heart problem, open heart surgery is required, this child's already got HIV, we've had kids with HIV and cancer, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome. We have to make a decision at that point, and we're also making a decision by faith. So... Um, we made, we made a decision for these two boys. And now God's given us the honor to connect all those dots to where they are today. And I just give him the glory that we were able to say yes because of people like you that empower us. Our teams are in South Africa. We do the work on the ground. In the first service, I, I gave an analogy of an army. And in the United States Army, everyone has the same commission. Protect the country, kill the enemy. You, you, got that, you got that commission if you're a chef or whether you're a seal. I like to think Acres of Love 
falls more in the kind of the SEAL category. We are, we are not public, uh, but we're in the trenches and we're doing work 24 hours a day and it's slow, steady work. So um, in his army, we're getting the work done. And, um, and that's one of the testimonies that I wanted to bring you because it shows a complete picture. But there's many financial miracles. It's the miracle that we had the, the money to say yes and then... Then Lizzie came into their life, and that home is beautiful, and so it goes. Um, and so um, there's destiny on these boys. God's got his hand on them. I give him the glory for that. So now I'm going to fast forward to um, the balance of my teaching. Um, so if you want to know what I said, oh, there we go. Let me just go. Okay, that's it. So I don't want the slide to confuse you. I just put the word rapture there. Not that I'm going to be talking about um, what they call it, eschatology. The red line is just, I was hiking one day and I was thinking about this concept and Rich Stearns, who runs World Vision, wrote a book called The Hole in Our Gospel, H-O-L-E. He said, he, he's, you know, he's got a much higher profile than we do, obviously. In the world. I think the World Vision are doing, raising about two billion now a year, and he gets invited to many, many churches. But in 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 all those travels and everything, he made a discovery that many churches don't touch on certain scriptures. And if you took a razor blade and you cut those scriptures out, and you held up the Bible, it's going to be full of holes. So he called his book "Hole in Our Gospel." It wasn't meant to be demeaning or derogatory. It was just that there are certain scriptures that are really challenging and are powerful, but particularly when it comes to the poor. And so um, I'm thinking now, how can I share that? How can I explain that? Because one of the things that when Jesus gives financial advice, it's really tough. So for example, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount. He's straight up. He says, I do not want you to accumulate wealth on earth, period. Okay, so that, that blows up a lot of things that are going on in your life right now. I do not want you to accumulate wealth on earth. And then he says, because where your wealth is, your heart's going to be. Many times I hear people say, oh, I have a heart for Africa. I've got a heart for this. Well, where's all your wealth? Oh, your wealth's in America. Well, your heart's in America. You, you, you may wish but that's what Jesus was saying. But he doesn't leave us with a negative. He comes with a huge positive. He says, instead of accumulating on earth, I want you to accumulate in heaven. So that tells me two things. He is specific about the location, position, and he's blessing wealth. And that, that inspires me. Um, and so how do you explain to somebody they've got to have wealth in heaven? There's no U.S. dollar there. You're not there yet. How do, you, how do you even get wealth there? Well, he doesn't leave, leave anything as a mystery. And so this slide just simply shows that all of his advice is above the line. At this point, we're no longer on earth. And everything you have will be taken away from you. And yeah, we are operating now in this system over here. Kingdom of Man, the Babylonian system, the world system. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a dichotomy because in actual fact, when you look at the U.S. dollar, it says we must trust in God. In God we trust. But on the one dollar bill, there's the all-seeing eye, which is, which is an occult symbol. So is it, is it Satan or is it God? What is it? It's like, it's like messed up. But we're operating here and we're doing God's work and he's supplying our needs and yet Jesus says, I want you to focus up here and I want you to accumulate your wealth up there. And so the advice that Jesus gives is always what I call above the line. Okay? And how do, we, how do we process that? So, for example, in Luke 18, he comes across a rich ruler and he says, um, he says, you lack one thing. He says, you have no treasure in heaven. 
this was a, a man who was perfect in the law. And you know how hard that is to, to maintain the law? And then he says, but I have a solution for you. Sell everything you have. And by the way, when he says sell everything you have, what you have is his. So he's basically saying, okay, right now you're accumulating it, but I need you to sell it because I have someone else in mind for those resources. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And we know that in that story, the, the rich ruler goes away really angry and very distraught. And, and the Bible doesn't say why, so, you know, I made some assumptions. I think one of the problems was that he had a lot of money. The Bible does say that. But I said, I thought the complexity of achieving that goal, we don't know how old he was, how much time that he had left. The second thing is, most people that are affluent, they live in a, in a tower. They are insulated. So let me put that in perspective. 80%, 8 of the wealth in Christianity is in North America, in the hands of Christians in North America. 80% of the wealth on earth is in North America. But 80% of the needs of poverty, of extreme poverty, is outside of America. Can you see the problem? So we're living in a country where we are extremely blessed, but we are also insulated. And so my job is to bring awareness to, okay, what the problems are, how they can get solved, okay? And I think when you're wealthy and you get an instruction like that, it's very difficult because how do you even begin to venture to help someone you have never met, and you don't know where they are, and you don't know how to interact, and now you're responsible for this wealth. How do, how does it, how do you distribute it in, in, an, in, a, in an intelligent way? Because usually people that are affluent are very smart. They've got a lot of smart people around them. So they want to do things with excellence. But if you haven't even got on a plane and ventured anywhere, how do you solve a comp complex problem? So helping the poor is actually solving com complex problems. So uh, go to my next slide. And I, I don't know if you guys can see this. Okay. And um, can Darren just bring the whiteboard to me, love? No, I want, I want you to focus. Oops. on this commitment part here. So the, the, real, the reality of, of our lives is what do we have to offer the Lord? And in all humility, we have nothing. We can't even say, well, you can have my intellect because he gave you that. He gave you everything. But what we do have is we can make ourselves available. Our time is very precious. So we make ourselves available. And then the second thing is we obey him. Availability and obedience are the two most precious commodities we have, which we can actually offer to the Lord. And I did that in 1998, and I prayed a prayer, and I said, God, use my life. And already there was a stone in my shoe, and I had a burden for the orphans and the poor. And God took me up on it. So I became available, and I became obedient. And that process is not simple either. And so I just want to start with the first C, which is making a commitment. Until you get to the point where you say, well, I want to commit. I'm going to now discover his assignment in his word, and it's not hard. You read the word for five minutes, and you understand, he really wants the poor helped. He wants their needs taken care of. Um, there's a um, scripture that, let's see if I'm going to get to it. Yeah, it's coming up, model program in Psalm 113. So I'll go into that more detail there. Um, but that's slam dunk. Once you read Psalm 113, you have no confusion about what God wants. Um, so you want to make a commitment to the discovery of your assignment. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Your calling is without repentance. You know what that means? If you die and you didn't discover your assignment, and you didn't execute your assignment while you were alive, you can't repent for it. It has no exit. There's no exit. You, you are accountable for that. Calling without, your callings are without repentance. And don't 
You don't determine your assignment, you discover your assignment. He's the king, he gives assignments. He's the assignor, we the assignee. So we don't determine, we discover. Your assignment is part of a great commission. I've already gone into that. Your assignment will always be geographically specific. There's a reason why this church is here, in this community. Your assignment will always be to solve a complex problem for another person. We are not assigned institution to institution. Our institution is just a convenient way for us to operate. But we are assigned to human beings. Jesus died for you. He didn't die for all those people in Orange County. He knows every hair on your head. He died for you as an individual. So you are assigned to another person. Your assignment will require wisdom and favor. It's the one thing I pray every single day of my life. Father, I ask you for supernatural wisdom today, supernatural favor with everyone that comes across my path. And your assignment will require compassion. Your assignment will demand mercy. So this is how mercy works. You cannot obtain mercy until you actually sow mercy. Because it says, God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. But if you don't sow mercy, you're crying out to God for mercy, you've got a problem. Your assignment will be complementary to your gifts and talents. So that should give you courage because many people don't want to venture into, well, what, God, what does God have for my life because I'm an artist or because I'm an accountant. Well, everything you have in your life right now up until this point is just... R&D, research and development. You're in actual fact perfect. You're ready for the Lord to give an assignment. You don't have to jump over one more hurdle. You don't have to go to one more class of whatever you're learning. Perfectly situated right now. And your assignment will, will require obedience, and obedience is better than sacrifice. Your assignment is without repentance, imperative that you discover it, and fulfilling your assignment will require three things. In order to make a commitment, you're going to need to have urgency, action, and execution. Urgency just speaks about focus. Your present focus will determine your present feelings. So every morning I wake up, I have this thought in my head. I create my world every day, and I live in it. I don't ask my body how it feels. I tell it how it feels. And then action will require compassion. Jesus was moved by compassion. Every time he spoke to a crowd, he was concerned about how far did these people walk? Now we can't let them go back. We need to give them a meal. He always showed compassion. And execution requires uh, mercy. And your assignment is clearly revealed in the word of God. And then in 1 John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when you read the Bible, that's Jesus talking. And he will tell you how to conduct your life, and he'll tell you what your assignment is. And when you discover your assignment, you'll get great confidence. And I love the scripture in 1 John 5.14. It says, This is the confidence we have. That if we ask God anything According to his will, he will hear us. It's a big deal. Not many prayers are heard. Well, a few prayers aren't heard. But he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that he'll grant us the petition that we came to him with. So, what I want to do here quickly is... Um, There's two more C's. I can just do it out of my mind. So the first C over there is commitment. Then you move towards courage. So this journey is a journey of faith. It's like, Mitchell, okay, I don't have an income right now, but I'm going to adopt two kids in South Africa, and they won't give you the number, but it's probably north of $200,000 all in travel, everything else. I need courage. And the Christian word for that is faith. 
And then when you go through that phase, then you, you reach the next C, which is um, capability. Okay? Capability. And then in theory, you move to the next C, and you've got confidence. So capability breeds confidence, and that should allow you to go straight back to the beginning, do that loop all over again. So the, the journey we are on in Christianity is one of making a commitment, walking in faith, getting new capability, having confidence, so we loop. But here's a problem. So for many years I coached different guys and I coached them about <coughs> using this new capacity they have. And then I found a, a, a problem because what happens is, and this is just human nature, they veer off and they go and park themselves in comfort. Because when you come around to this journey, you've got new capability, you've got new resources, you've got new networks, everything's going well in your life. So now you want to say, okay, well, I'm comfortable. And the next C, which is the terrible twin, is convenient. So now you want to live in a concierge world. And everybody must serve you, and everything is cool. And this is, but this is a trap. Because now you don't want to step out of this comfort to go back to here where it really is uncomfortable. Because this is a journey of faith. And that requires you to be on your knees and in the Word and studying the Word. There is another C that I want to bring into this. Jesus spoke about. And it's called contentment. And Jesus says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So the way you avoid this trap over here is when, you, when you've got new confidence is to say, okay, let me be content. And he, he defines it. He says, you must be content with where you live, what you, what you wear, your, worldly, you know, your, your life. Be content with that. But always push towards making a new commitment. And God's assignment is progressive. So in the video you see it said that we had... Uh, Ada said we had 125, we have 175 now. We have, we're, gonna go, we're going towards 50 homes. Our annual budget is in the millions. In the first year when I started it, it was 14,000. One guy walked up to me and gave me $1,000 every month. Great friend of mine, which really inspired me. But now God has got us at another whole new level, and that's growth. So he will entrust you with more. The more you step out, the more he'll entrust you. I just want to make this point now. Jesus is sovereign. Okay, so there is no higher authority. And, I, and one day I was sitting in a restaurant with a guy and he said to me, you know, it's amazing how Jesus became poor so that we can be rich. And it hit me. And I said, well, that's relative because, yes, he became poor in as much as he walked on earth and he was born in a manger and lived with Joseph and Mary. He had a lot of um, brothers and sisters. Joseph was pretty well off, but not the kind of wealth that he had in glory. But, the, but despite his status, he never changed from being the richest man who ever walked on earth. He's richer than Solomon. He's richer than Elon Musk. He's richer than anybody that's ever walked on it. You know why? He owns it all. He owns the oceans. He owns the mountains. He owns everything. You want to know about his wealth, and he plays around. NASA discovered a, a um, planet, and you can go to NASA's website. It's three times bigger than the Earth, and, and the whole planet is a solid diamond. It's compressed carbon. It's the whole planet is a diamond. So if you can get a, a shuttle there and you take a big a big chisel, you can, you can come back pretty rich. I, I recently I heard about a star that went through, and I don't understand any of this, but it went through um, a dark, um, a, a black hole, and the star disintegrated into millions of pieces. But those pieces, because of that event of disintegrating, are now chunks of floating platinum and gold. Millions in the universe. So, 
Jesus is the richest man who ever lived. And I think we should really take his advice seriously, financially. And he gives this parable in Luke 12. He's a wealthy guy and he's a huge producer. And what's amazing about this story is that this guy's barns were already full. So that's the problem with accumulating wealth. You're accumulating wealth on top of wealth. And then you're accumulating wealth on top of the wealth, on top of the wealth, on top of the wealth. So it becomes a a never-ending quest for accumulation. And then the guy, the farmer says, well, what should I do? My barns are full. Okay, I know. I'll build bigger barns. And then I can sit back. See, um, and so Jesus comes and disrupts his life. And he challenges him with something that he never considered. And also, that he has no control over. The one thing is, tomorrow morning if you wake up and your heart's still beating, just thank God, because that, because that thing could stop in the night and you're not, no longer on earth. Your very heartbeat is God's mercy. Okay? And he said, so, you made all these plans, you've accumulated all this wealth, but I'm going to require your life from you now. Oops. So all this forward planning, all, all of the assumptions about tomorrow, the Bible says that we must never make assumptions about tomorrow. We've got to use these words, God willing. So God willing, I will travel again in March. It's, we cannot assume the future. We have to say God willing. But he said, your life is going to be taken. And then he asked him an amazing question. He says, so who will then get the wealth you've accumulated? And we don't know, did he have a will, did he have a... But it doesn't matter, that's irrelevant if he had his plans in order. What Jesus is really saying is, all of that money you accumulated, actually, if you were sensitive to me, belonged to someone else. Never made that transfer. So now who will get that money? Well, everyone except who it was actually meant for. And Jesus, say, Jesus talks about in, 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 the, in the Sermon on the Mount, the eye of darkness. I never understood that scripture, but now I understand it because of, um, um, it's, I'll think of his name now, but it's a book that, um, it's called Laws of Reward. But in there, he basically says that when our eyes are eyes of light, we are, we are seeing eternity. We have an eye of darkness. We don't see eternity. We're only seeing till our death to the grave. So the, the, the discovery then I made, which was about five years after we started Acres of Love, is found in Psalm 113. So let me go there. This is a beautiful psalm. And I'm going to end with this. The first half of the psalm basically says, hallelujah, your servants of the Lord, praise him, praise his name, thank the Lord, now and forever, when the sun rises to where it sets, the name of the Lord should be praised, he's high above the nations, sovereign, his glory above the heavens, and then it says, who's like him? Then it says, he is seated on a high throne. And then it says, he bends down to look at heaven and earth. And I always wonder, what does Almighty God have an interest to look down? You know, to us mere. What interests him? And then it's profound. The psalm shifts and it says, he lifts the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the garbage. And then he seats them. He seats them with the influential people influential leaders of his people. And he makes the woman who's in a childless home a joyful mother. But look how intimate that is for God. He looks down to heaven, he notices the poor, he lifts them off the dung heaps, off the trash heaps, personally, brings them, and he seats them. And I've learned in Acres of Love, God will always bring a problem to where the solution is. And if I'm standing here this morning saying I'm pleading the cause for these children in South Africa and around the world, then I'm bringing that plight to you. This is the solution over here. So that's God's pattern. It brings the problem to the solution. 
And the biggest thing for me is that he wants the poor to have a seat at our table. He doesn't think of you that are affluent more highly than those that are poor. This is an upside-down kingdom. The, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. And I want to end with that, because that, that scripture completely changed my life. And I thank God that I found it. And now I know that God is obsessed with the poor as much as he is with us. We need to get into the game, make a difference, change the world. So now we're going to transition to communion, which is so wonderful. I love communion because it is participating of his blood and his body. But more than that, if you think about it, when he struck up a covenant, he didn't strike it up with us. Because if he, if he made a covenant with us, he would need our blood. We haven't shed blood. So who, did the, who set up the covenant? Well, the covenant is set up between God, the Father, and Jesus. Jesus shed the blood, which makes a covenant. And there's a pattern found in Leviticus 16, and this is 1,400 years before Jesus was born. And on the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year, the high priest goes into the holies of holy. They have to put a string, a rope around him, because if he doesn't do the correct thing in the correct order, they're dragging his body out of there. But he's in God's presence. And he had to do two things. He had a censer with hot coals, with incense and smoke. And that's a beautiful type of worship, by the way. We access the presence of God through worship. Then he had blood, blood of animal which he dipped and he sprinkled exactly seven times that's a prophetic preview of how Jesus was going to be crucified he would shed his blood seven times the first time was when he was sweating blood contemplating the awful torture he was going to go through the second time he's they arrested him, they struck him in the face and with fists and rods shed a lot of blood and then they flogged him with a, a Roman scorch which basically opened his back, filleted him could see his lungs it's absolutely incredible how much blood he lost there they pulled out his beard all of these are scriptures, Luke 22 Luke 22, Luke 18 Isaiah 50 the next is they, they put thorns on his scalp your head bleeds a lot. And then they drove those nails through his hands and his feet. And number seven, he was dying and they stuck a sword in him. By then he had almost drained all the blood out of his body. He shed his blood seven times. So when you take the communion, please remember that when you participate in that. And uh, be blessed. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.